Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to be together on this beautiful sunny spring morning. It's supposed to be 60 degrees today. That's nice. And we get to enjoy time together and a, a potluck together. And um, more importantly, we get to be together with the Lord and worship and be before His Word. So I pray God's blessing on your whole day and on our time here. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here at King of Grace. And um, we are going through the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in our Bibles. Um, He is a prophet that lived uh, uh, after the return from their exile. And he spoke to the people of God um, as they had basically fallen or were falling asleep, uh, spiritually speaking. They were in a slumber. And he came uh, because God is gracious. He loves his people. And he came um, to wake them up. God was using Malachi to call them to wake up and to return to the Lord, to see the Lord for who he is, and then to change in their lifestyle. And so there's a number of things that Malachi addresses as he goes through um, speaking for the Lord here in this book. And so we are in chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 10 through 12 this morning. And we're going to learn about how Malachi calls us to wake up and to not compromise with the world. To, to start off, let me tell you a story. A, a friend of mine, um, he told me about a watershed moment he had in his life. He um, was a young Christian. He had just come to faith in Christ, was just starting to follow Jesus, starting to learn how to, to trust Him for everything and to turn away from the things that God told him to not do, the things that weren't contrary to his good ways. So he's just starting out. And as often happens for young people, he was in college at the time, he uh, was attracted to a young woman at his college. The problem was this young woman wasn't believing and following Jesus. She was going in the opposite direction. And yet he continued to pursue the relationship and he found himself one evening uh, in in the process of pursuing this relationship with this young lady at the doorstep of her dorm room and her roommates were gone, so the idea was to go into the dorm room and so forth. Uh, and he's on the doorstep, and uh, she gets her key out to unlock the door. She unlocks it, opens the door, and then turns around to kiss my friend. And, and he's, you know, he's ready to kiss her. But all of a sudden, at that moment, uh, something inside of him, a, a, a voice of sorts, said, Run. And you know what my friend did? He listened to the voice. He turned around and he ran down the hallway of the dorm, out the dorm, across campus, all the way to his room and got to his room. And needless to say, that was the end of that relationship. (laughs) And my friend to this day is married to a wonderful Christian woman and has been walking with the Lord for 35 plus years. I tell you that story because that's more or less what Malachi is saying in these verses. Um, that we're to run away from the inappropriate connections that would lead us away from God and His people. Uh, and so we're going to dig in, we're going to learn about this, and I trust that you'll hear God's voice through this, because I think that's, that voice, whether it was God or not, was in line with what we see in Malachi and God's Word. And I trust you'll hear His voice to run away from those things and to run towards the things that God has for us. That's really the, what this uh, section of Scripture is about. So let's pray, and we'll look at God's Word together and hear his voice as he speaks to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you didn't leave my friend on that doorstep. 
Uh, and you don't lead us, leave us in those places, but you call us to run towards you and to pursue our relationships with you together. And that's where there's life. And I thank you for this verse, uh, these verses in Malachi. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to, to proclaim and teach this truth. And I pray as we are here together in your presence, you'd speak to us. And you'd lead us in your glorious ways, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness and faithfulness and goodness and that you are the living God who speaks through your living word. So speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Malachi says to God's people, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless in the and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. It's God's Word from Malachi chapter 2, verses 10-12. through and so again, Malachi is calling God's people to return to the Lord, to turn away from um, walking away from God, to turn to the Lord, to behold God once again, and in beholding Him, to love Him and follow Him and to wake up. And now in this section, he is addressing the issue of, of intermarriage and what's going on with the people of God is they have so lost sight of God and His goodness and the glory of His ways that they are willing to compromise by marrying people who are not at all committed to God. Who are committed to foreign gods and false, false religion and all that comes with it. Um, and if you know some of the history, the background behind these false religions is not just believing in, in a false god uh, and the lies there, but also participating in the worship of those false gods, which, which included all sorts of uh, heinous things. Um, child sacrifice, sexual perversion, and so forth. And so it's a very serious thing in just these three verses that, are, that is being addressed. That they've turned away and God's calling them back. And the truth we'll learn uh, in this section and the truth that's there for them and for us is that we are to turn away, uh, to keep our eyes on God and turn away from inappropriate connections with the world. Because they will harm our relationship with God and with others. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk first about those inappropriate connections, what we see here in Malachi, and then I want to talk about how it impacts our relationship with God and His people. So those are the three points, and of course the main point to, to, to keep our eyes on God and turn away from these things. So first, inappropriate connections. The, the heart of the issue is mentioned at the end of verse 11. Um, it says, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. This isn't uh, merely metaphorical um, because literally they're not the daughters of foreign gods, but um, it's metaphorical in that sense, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, it's, real, it's a real issue. So the marriages that are going on are real marriages. They are actually marrying people from other, uh, other ethnic groups, and the issue isn't ethnicity, it's the belief system of that other group. Uh, and, and this had been forbidden, clearly forbidden by God in Scripture. Actually, Exodus chapter 34, in the very beginning, after God had rescued them from Egypt, He tells them to stay away from this sort of thing. He tells them not to marry those 
uh, from these other groups. So it says in Exodus 34.10, it says, And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among, uh, among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So God's speaking of His covenant, that He's rescued them, He's calling them to Himself to have this wonderful relationship with Himself, and it's to be something that will be good and glorious and on display for all to see. And in that context, He says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice." And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. So God's saying, stay away from these people because they are following these false gods, and you're to have nothing to do with that. It's strong language. Uh, and, and it's fitting language because actually if you read the history, they ended up doing just this. And, and it, it really ruined them. Um, the issue here wasn't these other tribes in terms of their ethnicity. That's important to, to note. Um, it's a side point. This isn't in, you know, saying you need to be ethnically pure. That, that's not at all what's being said. As a matter of fact, you can read through Scripture and see that, that there were actually people from these tribes that, that came to faith in the one true God and were joined into the people of God. One example of that is Ruth. The book of Ruth. She was a Moabite. She's from one of these tribes. And, and her upbringing would have been worshiping these false gods and all that comes with it, but, but in the process in her life, she came to faith in the one true God. And she followed uh, her mother, became part of uh, the people of God, and married a godly uh, Jewish man, and became the ancestor to not only King David, but Jesus himself. And there are other people like that in Scripture, Rahab and others. So the issue isn't ethnicity, it's the worldview of these people. It's the culture and, and their cultures were, were greatly influenced and centered around these false gods and all the practices that came with that worship. And so God's saying, have nothing to do with that. Do not marry these people. Do not marry these people who practice these things. Stay away from that. They are welcome to come in to join in faith with you and become part of the people of God. Uh, that's throughout Scripture. But, but you are not to join with them in terms of their spiritual pursuits. Have nothing to do with that. And... And the sad story is that they didn't obey that. The history of the Jewish people uh, at this time was that they did intermarry. And actually, one of the greatest kings in history uh, for the Jewish people, and really all of history, who was greatest really in terms of wealth and power and wisdom, was a train wreck in terms of this. And you may know the story of King Solomon. 1 Kings 11 says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives. 
who were princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Uh, it's a very sad, tragic story. And, and the people of God were led astray and led away from God and led into all sorts of practices. And God was merciful with them and, and bringing discipline. And, he, and, and they were sent into exile. And then God in mercy brings them back and restores them in, in the land. And, and that's the context from Malachi. And so it's really horrendous that this is going on here after all that they had been through. Because really, in many ways, their betrayal of, of God in this way had led to their exile. And here they're restored, and yet they're doing it again. And so uh, it's such an important thing. Actually, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, so Nehemiah and Ezra are parallel uh, roughly time-wise with what's going on in Malachi. In the book of Nehemiah, we, we see that Nehemiah actually completely freaks out over this. Um, and it's really colorful, actually, what, what he does. And, and I think if you understand how important this was and, and what a betrayal this was to God's command and, and His people, his, at least how he felt is appropriate. So it says in Nehemiah chapter 13, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. So this is Nehemiah speaking. And he's the governor, by the way, the Jewish governor of the region. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, and cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. And I made them take oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, on account of, uh, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall, then, shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? So it's really a, a terrible thing that's going on that they are betraying God's commands and marrying these foreign women. And, and the issue here, again, is not the ethnicity. It's not marriage. Um, it's that, that connected to this is that these women are committed to their foreign gods. And when they're marrying them, they're compromising themselves and their commitment to God and compromising the entire people of God. So there's a lot at stake here. And... and this call to separate themselves and not to intermarry is consistent with a theme in Scripture of separation. And there's an appropriate teaching in Scripture of separation. The idea that you separate yourself from pursuing false gods and false things. You avoid intermarriage uh, with those that are not uh, following the Lord, trusting the Lord, and you avoid um, interconnections with inappropriate things are going to lead you away. So there's a, there's a practice of separation in Scripture. And I think it's really important to get. It's not a real common theme uh, nowadays in some ways. Uh, our culture kind of would probably push against this. Well, what are you saying? You know, that are you supposed to be exclusive? That's being exclusive, isn't it? Uh, so they would push back, and, and we may feel, as, as, even as you're listening to me, like, whoa, I'm not sure about this thing. Is that good? I would just say, by the way, that the culture in, in every everything in culture uh, separates as well. If you have a particular worldview, you always have to separate to a degree from other worldviews. You, you cannot just meld them all together. They're incompatible. Um, so there's always a separation. And I would submit to you actually, our culture's trend right now is to practice 
a, a really stark, brutal separation where if you don't agree with the mainstream, then you are ostracized and penalized and so forth. And uh, there's all sorts of things going on in our culture. So, so our, I don't think we want to look to the culture for what it thinks about this. We want to look to God's Word. And we want to understand this properly. So I, I just want to take a little bit of a side excursus here to talk about this theme so we'd understand it, not only here in Malachi, but in all of Scripture, and ultimately to practice in our lives uh, biblical separation. We can get this wrong. There are two poles, I think, uh, of this issue. There's a separation that is not biblical, uh, that it's extreme and, and even um, agnostic in its teachings. Uh, and then there's a, a liberality in separation saying we don't separate at all. So let's look at what the Scripture teaches. And now I can't cover everything the Scripture teaches. I think a great place to go uh, is simply 1 Corinthians 8-10. through Paul is helping the Corinthians uh, learn about this issue. And they live in a culture that's similar to ours in some ways, but, but probably real different in that it was dominated by a non-Christian worldview. And the issue in chapters 8-10 through 10 of 1 Corinthians, and I won't go through all of that, but the issue there is the people are wondering what to do about eating meat. And you may wonder, well, what does that have to do with this? Well, in that day, if you were going to eat meat, it came through the local temples. Um, so that all, the, all the meat that was processed in that culture was dedicated to their gods. So it would have been offered in their temples, and their temples were temples for Aphrodite and Apollos uh, or Poseidon. And so these were false gods, and some of the same sorts of practices that were going on with the, the tribes around Israel in Malachi's day were going on in those temples. And so there was active worship of these false gods and all sorts of inappropriate things with that. And so the meat was being offered to these gods in that context. And so Paul is addressing what to do because there were two poles of reaction to this. One pole said, this meat is therefore polluted because it's been offered to these foreign gods. The meat is polluted. We can't touch it. We can't have anything to do with it. So we're just going to be vegetarians. And, and matter of fact, we can't even touch it. And, and no Christian should ever even think of touching the meat because it is polluted. It's been offered to a foreign god. That was one extreme. The other extreme was, well, these are false gods. They're not real gods. They're just idols. They're just images. They're all just you know, made up things in people's minds. So the whole system is meaningless. And God is, is Lord over all things. He's God of the entire universe, of everything. He's Lord of this meat. He, he made meat for us to eat and enjoy. He's bigger than these false gods, so it really means nothing. Matter of fact, you can not only eat the meat, but you could even go into those temples and be there because, you know, that's all your friends are there and so forth, and you don't want to cut those ties. You still want to be connecting to them, and it's just a false thing, so don't worry about it. Just walk, walk in, and yeah, you can even go through the motions of their worship. It, it, you know, it's all, it's all a lie, so don't worry about it. Those are the two poles of the issues, and as you can imagine, Hearing that, it's setting the church up for a lot of conflict. So Paul comes in in chapters 8-10 through 10 to try to help them understand. And he, and he says some things. If we could actually put those two verses up from 1 Corinthians 10. Um, and these two verses represent the truth that Paul brings to them uh, that addresses both sides and brings them to an understanding. So let me read those verses. It, he says in uh, chapter 10, verses 25-26, to Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. <clears throat> so he addresses those who think the meat's polluted with this truth. He's agreeing with those on this side to some degree. He's saying, guys, meat is all from God. He's Lord of all things. 
There's no way for the meat to be polluted because it's made by God. It's a good thing in and of itself. All that God has made is good, is the implication here. And so you, you, you shouldn't be freaking out because somehow it had something to do with the temple. Uh, the meat is a, is a gift from God. Food is a gift from God to enjoy. So be free. Don't worry about that. Um, it, it's okay. And, and you don't have to raise questions whether it, it's okay or not. That's what he says to the one side. And then he says to the other side, in uh, verses 19-20, through 20, what do I imply then? That, off, that food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No! So the food doesn't get polluted. The idol's a falsehood. But then he says this, I imply that what pagans sacrifice um, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. So what he's saying is, yes, you're right about the meat. It's a gift from God. All that He's made is good. You don't have to worry about that. But, even though those idols are false, behind them are demons. And if you think you can kind of go into the temple and just be there with your friends you know, in their worship service, worshiping those false things, no. That's not appropriate because you are actually worshiping a demon when you do that. So don't go in the temple. Don't participate in that worship. But, but the things themselves, the, the, the elements of their worship, so the, the meat that they use, there's, that's good. That's created of God. Don't worry about that. That's His answer. And, and so that guides us I think, very well in terms of this issue of separation. So Paul's saying, you separate. You don't worship the foreign gods. You don't participate in what they're doing. But you don't separate from the thing that's good and created by God. It's a good thing. You're to be free. You're to enjoy that. Um, So how does that work itself out in our world? Well, we can pick a lot of things in the culture. And... and, um, and we have to understand we live in the world. Uh, the world, when Scripture talks of the world, it, it doesn't mean um, the mainstream culture necessarily. It doesn't mean everything that's out there. It doesn't mean the physical world. It means the world as, as the system of, within culture that's opposed to God. So in a culture, there are worldly aspects to a culture. There are things in that system that are built around a false worldview. And that's what the Scripture means of the world, and that's how I'm using the term. So we live in the world, and how do we interact with this world? Well, you can pick anything in culture and use these principles that Paul used. Let's take music, a song, a particular song. Uh, A song that's written uh, by someone in the mainstream culture, um, and it's composed of notes, right? And tones, and, and there's vocals in it, and there's instruments in it. The notes... And the, and the voice and the arrangement and the style, that's all good. That's from God. It's a good thing. You can be free to enjoy those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, even though the person who wrote the song might not have the purest intentions in their music, um, may not be doing it to worship God, the music itself is good. So we don't say this music is polluted. I can't touch it. But the aspects of the song that are praising and promoting falsehoods, that's not good. And so we don't participate in that. So you might enjoy a song and it's just a a well-done song. You can say that. That's a well-done song. I love the style. I love the music. But if the song, as you listen to it, is really focused, using all those things to actually focus on and lead you somewhere that's worship of a false god and a false thing, then then maybe you shouldn't listen to that song. Or maybe you just tune out, you know, tune out, the lyrics or something, just listen to the, 
the music behind it. So, so we can do that with music. We can appreciate the music uh, and the musical aspects that are from God while not participating in the thrust of that song. Uh, you can look at movies this way. You can, you can have a movie and you, you can see that just the use of cinematography, the plot development, how they address the deepest questions of humanity. Those are all good things. But there might be something in the, that is in the movie that's really a slap in God's face. And that's not a good thing. We don't participate with that. We don't engage that. That doesn't mean you need to throw the whole movie out. Um, you need to weigh what the movie is doing. Um, and, and by the way, I mean I can illustrate elsewhere. Paul quotes from uh, philosophers that were committed to false gods in the book of Acts. So he uses some of the quotes for good. He doesn't say, oh, you know, this is polluted stuff because a, a false a false philosopher gave this. No, this, this part of it is true. And so I can use this. I can quote from it. Uh, yet he's not up there saying, follow the teachings of Aristotle or following, follow the teachings of whomever, you know, um, these other false philosophies. Uh, it's also um, important to understand that we don't decide on how we employ music or stories, literature, movies, on whether it has bad language or even violence or sex in it. Let me just say that out uh, plain. That's not the issue. That's not the only consideration. Because if you're going to reject something because it has that in it, then you cannot use this book. This book has bad language in it. It has violence and it has sex here. What's the difference though? Those things are, are dealt with in a redemptive way. So the, re the result of what's in this book when it uses those things is to turn you to God. To turn you away from those things. So it's not so much whether it's there, it's how is it used. Is it a redemptive as a whole uh, item? And so you have to think through that. And that's going to be a little different for some of us than for others. For example, um, I can't listen to Bruce Springsteen. Um, not because he's not a good singer. Um, he, I think he's a great singer. I think he addresses key themes in culture. His arrangements are great. His music's great. There's parts of it. And maybe some of the songs I, can't, I can listen to. Um, there are things that, places he goes in some of his songs that, that may not be most helpful. But I, don't, I think overall it's pretty good stuff. But I can't listen to it because I grew up listening to it on, uh, with the volume at 11 on my stereo. And I have all the songs in my mind. I can actually, I could sing you all of his stuff from... Uh, pre-1982, right here, I, I still remember it all. And for me, all those songs are associated with my old lifestyle. So whenever, the, I mean, I, I, when I hear something, I go back, and it brings back the memories and all the temptations and all that stuff, and it just is not helpful. So I don't listen to Bruce Springsteen. But I, but I don't think it's wrong to listen to Bruce Springsteen. Um, I listen to other stuff. I listen to music by um, all sorts of music. I love all types. I, I love jazz uh, in terms of... Um, Rock, I, I, love, I love ZZ Top, their music arrangements. I don't listen to everything that's there, though. I have to think through it. Um, I listen to Mozart. Mozart's a genius. His music's incredible. Uh, every, everything I hear from Mozart, and I, I'm not, I can't tell you all the names of all, his, um, all of his compositions, but I love his stuff, and I see his genius in it. But do you know that Mozart was a pretty vulgar guy? Pretty worldly? But his music's incredible. And it's just like what Paul said. The, nothing wrong with the meat. Nothing wrong with the music and the arrangements. If there's, if there's an aspect where I'm participating in maybe Mozart's lifestyle because of that, then that's a different thing. So there's a practice of, of biblical separation here that we need to think through 
using those principles. I hope that makes sense. I hope that helps. Uh, and I hope it steers you in the right direction because I do think we get this wrong. We tend to be in those two poles like we see in Corinth. Um, either, oh no, it's polluted, I can't do it. So I have to pull back from everything. And you pull back from everything, you isolate yourself, and, and you end up denying the good. And I would just submit to you that that is actually wrong. Because God created everything. Everything He made is good. Music is good. Um, the, the food is good. Uh, culture is good. All these things are good. Um, our bodies are good in, in, as created. All these things are good things. And so, if you're thinking, I have to pull back to be holy by not engaging in His creation somehow, not listening to music or whatever it might be, you're, you end up calling what is good bad. And you end up living in what is uh, essentially Gnosticism, which is, I pull away and I live in this heightened spiritual place and I don't engage in, in you know, these polluted things. And somehow that's holier. It's not. It's less holy. Um, you are to enjoy those things for the glory of God. And that's the purpose. That's the point in all this. You're to be free in the Lord, but you're to employ all that He's made for His glory, for your edification, to bless others. So pursue those things for His glory in that way. And, and, and so don't do that. And don't stray on this side thinking it just doesn't matter what I do because I'm free. No, you can actually in your freedom end up participating in the worship of demons. So don't do that. Use discernment. Understand that you're to use your freedom to edify. To grow in Christ. And you're to be considerate of others who may not be in the same place. You want to make sure that they're edified as well as far as they're aware of what you're doing. So, that's a little bit of what the Bible talks about in separation. The particular issue here in Malachi is separation in terms of people. And so we need to think about that a little bit uh, as we relate to people. And, and using that principle, people made in the image of God, as, as far as portraying the image of God, that's a good thing. People are made in the image of God. We're to acknowledge that. We're to respect that. We're to enjoy that. And so you share a lot in common with people who don't know Christ, who have not been reborn by the power of the Spirit. They're still made in the image of God. They retain that image. And so they produce things that are praiseworthy and good. And you should enjoy that. And you should, you should seek the value of relationships in that context and not separate yourself from people because they're not, they don't belong to the Lord. They're still made in His image. There's good things there. But you're not to relate to people in a way where you're led astray to worship false gods. To pursue uh, where they're going. There are a lot of people out there who actually may, or I know, for, uh, are, are more moral than you are, than, than I am. I, I know people that, that don't believe in Jesus and they're very moral people. Um, and, and I should be able to honor that. But there's a fundamental difference at the core though. Um, when we come to know the Lord, He changes our hearts and, and our moral compass gets oriented towards the Lord. So we, face, we have our compass pointing true north when you belong to Jesus. And so somebody in the world might not may be very moral and good, but, but their compass is pointing in a different direction. So just understand that. That you can honor what they do. Um, they, they might do charity work. They might, do, they might compose music um, and literature and so forth. Enjoy those things. But, but realize that if, if you connect to them in a substantial way, you have a deep, deep relationship with them, you're connecting to them in such a way that their compass, their moral compass, is going to lead you where they're going. And that's what Malachi is getting at. So in relationships, we need to, to be wise with this. And, and particularly when the relationships are deep covenantal relationships, you're not to do that with someone who doesn't know the Lord. 
So marriage is a deep covenantal relationship. Um, and you're connected to someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so in Malachi, he's telling them not to do this. And the New Testament is no different. The New Testament tells believers to not pursue marriage with people who are not following the Lord. Uh, it's, it's implied throughout, and it's explicitly said in 1 Corinthians 7.39. It says, A wife is bound to her, her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Okay, got that? That makes sense. And then it says this, only in the Lord. So, for the Christian, you are only to pursue relationships for the sake of marriage with those that are in the Lord. So, so you're not to pursue a dating relationship is just not, is, is an unwise thing to do with someone who doesn't know the Lord. It's not, uh, this is talking about marriage, so ultimately that's where the command is for marriage. But it would be unwise to pursue romantic relationships with those who aren't in the Lord. Um, that's in line with, with what we see here. You can be friends with them. You can enjoy their giftedness and, and their goodness as far as the image of God reflecting through their lives. But you're not to pursue this a deep covenantal relationship. Now, uh, the reality is, for different reasons, some of us are married to people who don't know the Lord. Um, and I want you to understand clearly that, that God loves your marriage. Um, God says very clearly that if you are in that place, um, you are to love your marriage and you understand it as a holy thing. In 1 Corinthians 7, 13-14, through 14, it says, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And Paul's saying, don't worry about that. It's not as if you have some sort of polluted marriage. It's a holy marriage in the Lord. Uh, it's a good thing. So love your spouse. Love them in Christ's name. Pursue your marriage. Build your marriage. And seek to lead them to faith in Christ. Uh, and, and know that God is with you and, and there's a blessing on your marriage. So that's very clear in Scripture. So if you are already in that place, you are to, to honor God by loving your spouse and building up that marriage and enjoying that marriage. Um, so I, I hope this all makes sense. I hope you can see how it applies to everything, uh, to understand all these different areas and, and God's goodness and in, in what He's given us in creation, in music, art, and food, literature, um, giftedness, our ideas, our relationships, our bodies, everything made by God and to be used in dependence on God for His glory and freedom. But to make sure that it's aimed at enjoying and honoring God in all things. And so that's what's going on in Malachi. That's the point here. And it's important to understand behind this is God's desire for um, our heart to be for Him. Ultimately, these are about heart issues. And so in Malachi, we see that He's... That God is addressing them because they are doing this and they are sinning against God and the people of God. So let's dig into that, how Malachi talks about that. Um, he says at the beginning in, in chapter 2, verse 10, have we not all one Father? Um, has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers? I, I hope you see here in this verse, and really throughout Malachi, how Malachi is calling them back to God. It's not about behaviorism that you need to do X, Y, and Z, and somehow that's okay. It's ultimately about your relationship with God. So he starts out saying, have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? He's saying to them, guys, you have been made by God. He is our Father. 
He's created you and He's called you into covenant through Abraham. He called Abraham out of darkness into light to believe in God and to walk with God. And He wants all of His descendants to live in that. He called you out of Egypt, out of the oppression in Egypt to be His people that you would know Him as your God and enjoy Him and love Him and obey Him. He's, he's been good to you. He's the ultimate Father. And so your, your offense is against Him as this great and glorious God. So your com- coming back to Him comes through recognizing who He is. Waking up and beholding God in His grace and glory is what's going to drive you to obedience. Drive you to stay close to Him in these ways. He's the ultimate Father and Creator. And that's just worthy uh, topic to think about a little bit. What God is like as Father and Creator. He is such a gracious Father. All things have been created by Him. He is the giver of every good gift. And our world is full of His goodness. Our world is full of His fatherly generosity and His His glorious creation all around us. And and we can probe into any area and spend a lifetime just just probing into what God's done in creation. Just just take food. Um, you know, God could have made food so it was just like it simply filled our caloric need and, and our nutritional need, right? And it, it could be all gray, and it could all be like, you know, maple uh, texture, you know, just like porridge or something, right? It could have been like that, just all gray. Actually, everything could have been in just shades of gray. Uh, but food could be all gray in the same texture. He could have done that, and it could have been just as nutritious, you know, to eat it. You felt, you felt the energy, and you had all the vitamins you needed just by eating. He could have done that, but he didn't do that, did he? It's all, there's all types of tastes, all types of textures, all types of colors. The other, the other day I was giving thanks. I don't remember where I was. I was with some people eating. And I looked down at my food and I just saw it on this plate, it was a piece of art. It was all these different colors, all these different shapes, all these different types of food. I, I think it was pretty well-rounded, right? It had, there was a meat and there was vegetables, there was a starch. And I don't know what the other fourth group is, but anyhow, it was there. And it was really, really, it just looked good. And it smelled good. Uh, maybe it was at Alpha here. I can't remember. Um, and, and by the way, Alpha has some really good meals. Just advertisement for our next Alpha coming in the fall. Um, but, and I just, I gave thanks. And I just thought, how good God is to us. That we get to eat stuff like three times a day. And it's different every night. Uh, usually, for me at least. You know, it, it's, it's great. And that's just from our Father, the Creator, who's so good to us. And that's part of what Malachi is getting at. He's been good to you. And they have more than just that though. They have their history of being rescued from Egypt. They have the history of being restored from their exile. And now the temple's rebuilt and God's called them back to covenant with Him. He wants them to know Him and walk with Him. They have all these things. And and so Malachi is saying, why then? Why? Oh why? Oh why? Are Are you faithless? He says in verse 11, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. In the context of God's graciousness, this behavior is abominable. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. It's interesting, it says they've profaned the sanctuary which he loves. This 
is speaking of the temple. Why would God love the temple? Well, He loves the temple because it's the place where His glory dwells. It's the place where He makes Himself known. It's the place where He shows to His people what He's like. It's the place where He calls them into relationship with Him. It's the place where He calls them into intimacy with Him. It's the place where He expresses His fatherhood over His people in, in providing for them to, uh, sacrifices to cover their sins so that their sins could be atoned for so that they could approach His presence. The temple is the place where He calls them to pray and to sing and to worship and enjoy, enjoy Him. He actually calls all nations. The, Jesus says that, that um, the house of God is to be the house of prayer for all nations. It's a place where the nations are supposed to come and encounter God. He loves it because it's the place where they come to know Him. It's the place where they see His glory. It's the place where they experience Him in a powerful, real way. It wasn't just liturgical forms being practiced. There was real experience of God in those forms in the temple. His Shekinah glory shows up in the temple. They can't go in because of the cloud and His powerful presence. It's where heaven comes to earth. That's why He loves this place. Because He loves His glory. He loves His people. And He loves His people being formed into His image and, and, and ex- experiencing His love. So He loves His temple. This is the place where, he, where they encounter God and He makes Himself known. So, it's no surprise that David says in Psalm 26, O Lord, I love the habitation of Your house and the place where Your glory dwells. Psalm 27, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And so it's so tragic that the people of Malachi's day had exchanged all this for foreign gods and the falsehood and the lie and the destruction that comes with those foreign gods, those those demonic entities even. And the people had married the daughter of a foreign god. These are, are people who are committed to these foreign gods. They're bringing them in. They're, it's not a Ruth. It's not a, it's not a Rahab. It's someone who is it's, it's like Pharaoh's daughter committed to the falsehood. And they're bringing them in to the people of God. They're somehow thinking that this is more attractive than what I have in the Lord. They've lost sight of who God is and His grace and His glory. I remember 20 years ago watching a young lady in our church follow the same path. I don't know all that happened in her heart and in her life, but what I did observe was it looked like she started to find the things of this world, the world in rebellion against God, more attractive than God. She appreciated the attention of the young men at work who, from what I could tell, had no interest in God, but a lot of interest in her body. She was drawn to worldly portrayals of romance and adventure, and it all looked really good to her. And so she decided, probably step by step, to pursue that rather than to stay with the Lord. She had lost sight of God in His goodness, His truth, in His glory, in His grace. And so the world looked really good, and she pursued the world and she walked away. It was tragic. Um, But the answer for for her, the answer for the people of Malachi's day is to turn their eyes upon Jesus. To turn their eyes upon the Lord. We actually have so much more than them. They have 
plenty of reason to see God in His glory and goodness and to, to stay faithful. We have even more because we see the glory of God in His Son, Christ Jesus. God the Son. God the Man. And we see Him on full display and we, we have stories about Him. So many stories about Him here in the book. And this, this book is living and active. When we read these stories, it's not just the information that's there. It's the, the transformation that comes in the power of the Spirit as we read these stories and we see the goodness and glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And, 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 and there are just so many glorious stories. I, I started to think about them this morning. Just, and I could just sit here and retell story after story to you about Jesus and His glory. Just, just think one story. John chapter 4. His encounter with the Samaritan woman. What, what a great story. Uh, he's thirsty. It's the middle of the day. He, he's a man. He's grows tired like men, and so he stops by a well and he hopes to, he's hoping to get a drink. And his disciples go off to find food. He's sitting there tired, hungry, thirsty. And along comes this woman out of the Samaritan village. And he asks her for a drink. And, and it's uh, an unusual thing to do, actually, because for, for a number of reasons. First, she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. The Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with each other. And so the fact that he asked her was like stepping over these cultural um, norms in a huge way. Not only that, but he was a man. He, he was there by himself. She was a woman by herself in that convention as well. You didn't interact. You, would, you should have walked away. Yet Jesus uh, is, is thirsty and hungry for something better than water and food. He's thirsty for this woman to come to know God and be reconciled. And so he's willing to, to overcome all these these social norms that are there in order to interact with her, asked her for a drink, and there's this wonderful interaction. It's so clever and amazing and gracious on Christ's part, and he gets to the heart of things. It turns out um, he offers her actually living water because he knows that from, from him and relationship with him that she can have living water and be satisfied, truly satisfied. And she's, ne she's not found any satisfaction because the truth of her life is she's had five husbands and she's living with a man at the time, who's not her husband. She's, she's seeking to be satisfied in these other things. And Jesus says that, and she realizes, wow, He knows everything about me. And then He tells her basically that, that He's the Messiah. He's the promised King who would come to rescue God's people. And she comes to faith in Him and then goes and tells the village. So she's an outcast in the village. That's why she's there in the middle of the day, by the way. because uh, uh, Most likely, because she couldn't go in the morning because she was an outcast. That's when everyone else went. She's in the middle of the heat of the day. Jesus in His great love. This is God in the flesh demonstrating what He's like. Reaches out to an outcast. Interacts with her in this amazing way to draw her in. And then she goes and tells the whole village and they all come. And His disciples come and they're like, what is going on? You are not behaving like you're supposed to, Jesus. And He says, I have food that you know nothing of. That's what God's like. That's just one little story. And I could go into other stories. Luke 19, Zacchaeus. John 11, I just read to... Adam Krebs' family last night. Adam Krebs is, uh, was part of our church. Just went on to be with the Lord yesterday. John 11. The interaction with Lazarus' family. That's God. That's what He's like. He's gracious. He's good. He's glorious. He's truthful. And, and your ability to say no to the wiles of the world comes from beholding Him in all of His glory and goodness. That's what Malachi is saying. That's what the Word of God says to us. That's where we find strength. And by the way, we need each other in this. It's not just about you reading the story as important as that is. That must happen. We need to be in our Bible. That's where we feed on the Lord. Where we see Him in His glory. But coming together to remind each other what He's like. Hearing His Word 
taught and proclaimed, celebrating and singing about these things, celebrating this in sacrament together, reminds us of who He is and His goodness. And it's only then that we say, you know what, why would I choose that? Why would I want to marry the daughter of a foreign god? Why? That's just a a big lie. Wrapped in glitz and glamour, but behind it I know there's nothing there. Just delusion and, and destruction. I've got Jesus. I've got life. I've got the Creator of all. God the Father. I want that and therefore I don't want this. And that's what Malachi is getting at. It's interesting to see that he's getting at their, how it's about their relationship with God, but it's interesting that their behavior also affects the people of God. It says in verse 10, why then are we faithless to one another? Isn't that interesting? In, in their faithlessness, they're losing sight of God and they're walking away into the world and their faithlessness is not only to God, but to one another. They are betraying one another because they are the covenant people of God and they have been called into relationship with God and by necessity that means they're called into relationship with each other. Brothers and sisters, it's no different with us. We are called into covenant in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the covenants. And when we come to Christ through faith in Christ, we are called into covenant. And by the way, the greatest story in all the stories about Jesus is the story about Him going to the cross. This glorious One, this gracious One who, who displays the glory of God, then goes to the cross, takes that beautiful, glorious life that's, that's worthy of, of eternal life, and He offers it up on the cross for you and for me. Because God so loved you, so loved this crazy world, the people out of the world, that He wanted you to be rescued from the crazy world we live in. He wanted you to be rescued from His sin from your sin. He wanted you to be rescued from estrangement from Him. And so God the Son, God Himself in the flesh, offered up His righteous life on the cross, was tortured, He bled, He bore the holy justice of God for your sins and died under that justice for your sin. To pay for you. That that should you turn to Him and receive that payment, should you turn away from the world and turn to Him and receive that payment, all your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And then He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, so you can know in Him you have victory over your sin. And that victory not only gives you power to break the draw of sin, but eventually will totally purge sin from from your life. When you go to be with Him, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sickness or sorrow in new creation. That's all yours in Jesus. And through this truth, through faith in this truth, we are joined to Him and we are joined to one another. And that's the reality we live in, guys. We're connected to one another. So our, our pursuit of, of God affects others. And our non-pursuit affects others. It's, it's there in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We're the body of Christ. And verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are inextricably connected to one another. So when you work to stay close to God, to keep your eyes on Jesus, to remember these things, to, to keep your heart on Him and not going astray, you are blessing others. You are strengthening others. When you are lazy and lax and lose sight of God and His grace, you affect others. 
the Patriots, the New England Patriots, have this uh, phrase called do your job, right? Maybe you've heard that. Because they know that on the team, every person's role is important on that team. And if anyone on that team fails, it, it's a failure for the whole team. And if everyone on that team does their job and is, is faithful, it makes the team successful. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Tom Brady or the guy that holds the ball. I don't know if many of us could even name the guy that holds the ball when they kick the field goals. Um, but if he doesn't do his job, the kicker doesn't do his job, the points don't get scored, the team doesn't do well. Even the guy in the equipment room, we've learned, needs to do his job. Need I say more? So, the whole team needs to be strong. And that's how we work, guys. We're connected to each other. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We're, we're called to be there for each other. We're called to, to strengthen each other in these things. We're to set our eyes on the Lord and not pursue inappropriate connections with the world so that we can preserve and strengthen our relationship with God and His people. As uh, the band comes up and we transition, let me just uh, ask you to take a minute to consider how to apply God's Word. And wherever you might be, maybe right now for you, there is an inappropriate relationship that's there or looming. Maybe it's a romantic relationship. Maybe it's some aspect of engagement with the culture that's just not, it's, it's beyond the bounds. You're actually pursuing not just the music because it's good music, but you're actually enjoying and pursuing the attitude that's with it. Whatever it might be, bring that thing to the Lord and say, Lord, no more. I turn from that. Now strengthen me to pursue you. And get help with others to help you walk with Him. Maybe it's been going on already and you're already all tangled up. Let me tell you, set your eyes on Jesus. That's what's going to release you. Not regret. Not mere behaviorism. Uh, those things, though behavior might, well, will help you. Eventually, the heart needs to be addressed. So set your eyes on Jesus. Look in the Word and see who He is and find power in that. And for all of us, whether you're being uh, currently drawn or are trapped, it's the same solution. We need to run to Jesus every day. We need to remind ourselves of who He is. We are to let His truth and His goodness and His glory fill our vision. And we're to walk side by side, strengthen each other in this according to God's truth. So let's just take those things to the Lord. Uh, and then we'll transition. Jeff will transition us to communion. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for who You are. And thank You for the blessings of walking with You. And I pray each one here would hear You speaking and drawing them to set their eyes on You, to find their life in You, to turn away from the things of this world, to find that which is life, true and eternal life, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.